Hello, everyone. It's Nick with Chris here on April the 14th of 2021. I'm too tired to think of a witty way to start this episode. All right. So hello. There you go. Good to see you. Good to see you, Nick. Yeah, this is what happens when Nick gets tired. He either gets incredibly agitated and bizarre and hateful, or he just like, you know, turns into just kind of like a normal calm nice guy so uh we're just gonna have a very calm pleasant discussion about manga today and uh, not gonna have any extreme opinions it's just gonna be you know a cool time where uh everyone feels welcome and um yeah it's just uh tranquilo energy right yeah we'll get some sitar music in here and uh That'd be nice. Mm-hmm. Actually, if that happens, I I might legitimately fall asleep. I'm, <laughs> I'm very tired. <laughs> I just, it's just been a weird couple of days. Like, so for those of you who may not be aware, because you live in a world that doesn't care, which is 98% of the population, uh, there was a wrestle thing that happened this weekend. Yes, uh, and it took up a lot of attention. And uh, I watched a show with some friends. Uh, watched uh, one really good show and one kind of okay show uh, in that order. And um, after all that was done, it was like, okay, cool. That was a good weekend. Uh, And then Monday morning, I got a knock on the door and some random workers showed up at my apartment. And we're like, we're here to do some renovations. I said, what? And it's like, yeah, we're here to renovate the kitchen and the bathroom. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And it's like, yeah. So the apartment was supposed to tell you about this. Day. We No, they didn't. So I went down to the front office and complained at them. And uh, they said, oh, yeah, the guy, we printed the forms, but I guess the guy didn't post the notice on your door. That you're supposed to prepare to have people come into your place and uh, renovate it. That's always a, a good sign when they're like, oh, the like we we started it like telling you, but we got lost halfway through. They thought that the, we had been informed, but apparently the guy who was supposed to actually post the notice got COVID. So he was not around at all this week. Chuck. Uh, in order to actually you know coordinate what was going on between the guys that the apartment complex had brought in and the actual staff of the apartment complex yeah this whole thing is happening because we got new management owns the apartment complex now and their idea of how to make money off of it is to throw several layers of paint on random things and take out some very valuable cabinet space to put a washing machine in the kitchen which we don't need uh See, this is what's happening. I'm, we got- I'm just reminding myself about about why I'm tired, and that's making me angry. So, nice Nick's <laughs> gone. Goodbye. <laughs> but, Fuck that uh, guy. So, uh, Monday we got word of this, and then eventually they told us, okay, we've rescheduled you instead of doing this Monday to do it Wednesday, which is today. Uh, so, Tuesday, uh, while I was around the place, I uh, was emptying various cabinets and drawers of things uh, at certain points. And then 
uh, Nicole and I, like, we had to bag up all the items in our refrigerator because they replaced our refrigerator. So they were like, put all your stuff in bags so that the guys who were replacing everything can take it out of the old refrigerator and put it in the new one. Uh, and so we put all that stuff to the side. And then today the workers arrived and they were very nice. Uh, but they did a bunch of stuff that we didn't need them to do and didn't ask them to do. Uh, and then they left. Hey, we took out your ceiling fan and we put in an ironing board. It's on the ceiling in case you ever need to do some dry cleaning up there. Basically. And, uh, you know, eventually a guy, God, they, they finished things up at like 3.30 p.m. And they got in just before nine. So for about six and a half hours, I was literally just kind of huddled in this room, just kind of waiting for them to leave. And any time that I needed to go out into my own place, I was, you know, putting a mask on and stuff and being like, don't you give me COVID. Don't you give me COVID. Don't you give me COVID. Because, uh, you know. They're like, did you hear Chuck got COVID? He's he's the notice guy. <laughs> they put out the signs there at the front office and then Chuck, the notice guy, grabs him and tapes in the walls. Who the fuck relies on posting notices on people's doors in 2021? I have a computer <laughs> in my pocket that you can call me on. I have a computer on this part of my desk and this part of my <laughs> desk that you can send an email to. You have an online portal that is used for everyone in the apartment complex to pay rent to you. And you don't use that to tell me what's going on. You got to print something out. OK, I'm just I'm just angry about my own life right now. So let's take that great energy and move on to talking about the fantasy world. OK, all right, Nick, what would you do if you had superpowers? Chill Nick is gone. <laughs> He's dead and I ate him. Oh, no. All right. What would I do if I had superpowers? I would eliminate gentrification from society. That's what I would do. So. All right. <laughs> Well, that's not what happened this week in My Hero Academia. Uh, no, but what the fuck, Deku? You could have been. You could have saved. Look, I know you saved Yo, and that's nice. But you do know how many thousands of people you could have saved in the same amount of time if, instead of beating up Muscular, you would instead led him to a bureaucrat's office. All right, this is a very interesting Nick energy. I'm excited for this. Full cowling. How about take out the 99% full cowling? Ooh, all right. <laughs> I like Chapter it. Number three. Five <laughs> year academia. <laughs> Which actually is called full power. So Deku showed up in his raggedy uniform to look all, you know, 90s hero y. And fight muscular while holding Yo bridal style, uh, which I'm sure that Yo is very comfortable in. Um, it's actually, I if I I believe that it's like one of the most comfortable ways you can actually carry someone because like you can you know do the fireman's carry, but then it's like oh my belly you know if they're actually conscious. Actually, why isn't he doing that? Yo is unconscious, right? Whatever, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Anywho, so one, I love that we're back to the uh, uh, future diary, Nick train of thought energy. Two, I like how you posed it, knowing it's I only either yourself answering or me, who certainly is going to know less about this series than you do. <laughs> I'm still not entirely certain I know who Yo is. You've explained it several times, but I'm like, 
No, it was just the tornado guy who was at the, 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 <laughs> the license exam. Nick, they, they introduced one new character in Gang Orca. How many classmates did Yoroshi have that were introduced in that arc? 17. Who knows? It could be any number. I don't know. That were important in any way, shape, or form. Because I don't know that he was even there. The answer is either none or infinite. So, okay. I mean, I know t- there's turtleneck girl or whatever. Well, yeah, but that's that's Yo's classmate. Yorashi has is classmates with Kami or Kami. I can't. I still. Don't oh, Catsuit Girl. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, and oh, God, I always forget Finger Guy's name. The guy with the weird finger fingero. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look. I, I only note this, that might be his real name, because I was going through the wiki the other day, and I was reminded that the the lizard girl in Class 1B's uh, hero name is just Lizardy, and I was like, okay, so some of these we just didn't even yeah. try. Some of the, yeah, I mean, like, once you have Froppy, it's like, well, I, I could just put a, a Y at the end of any reptile name, and it sounds like a hero name, right? But Alien Queen was too intense. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess Bakugo gets to be you know explosion murder god dynamite or whatever it is. But anywho, that's why so, Midnight had to die. Yeah, muscular has his power up eye thing. Maybe he crushes something into the shape of a rugged gem, and then that puts that into his eye socket. So I don't know if this is. He's just putting something in his empty eye socket, or if it is... Well, no, I think he just picks up, like, a ceiling tile and crushes into that shape. Didn't he get punched into it? You're gonna get an infection, dude. Didn't he get punched into, like, a giant rock wall when he fought Deco? I thought it was supposed to be symbolic of that, like, he remembers that defeat. I mean, maybe. I don't remember. I I, I I feel like I might be creating that end end of the fight in my mind. Yeah, he he's. I, I think it's just that he has a dramatic gesture to do while he is talking mm-hmm. about how he wants to fight Deku for funsies. Look, guys, you're in a match with Rey Mysterio at some point. I know you never do it otherwise. You're going to have to take a breath, a breath like a breath on the second bottom rope or the middle rope, just because. Look, we yeah. have to tease the six one nine exists at some point. All right, you're just gonna have to do it. Yeah. But then you're going to have to remember at the last second, wait a minute, I'm on the second rope and Mary Mysterio is running behind me, so I'll duck out of the way. As opposed to, you know, standing up and like just holding your fist out where he's going to put himself. <laughs> now let me just put my fist here at dick level and he'll yeah. just swing himself into <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> that's, yeah, that's what he would say, yes. <laughs> that's what he said when when uh, he got his eye stabbed out last summer. Ouch! Yeah. Uh, well, I think it went something like, boom, boom, shaka, boosh, booyaka, booyaka, ouch, or some bullshit like that, whatever his stupid theme song does. <laughs> booyaka, ouch. <laughs> booyaka, ouch! I'm on page three of this chapter. <laughs> <laughs> We're on Nick Energy today. Page chapter lengths don't matter. We could cover 15 pages in the next second. I don't know. Anyway, so the chapter ends. Uh, <laughs> uh, muscular 
leaps towards Deku and smashes into the building that he's standing on. And then while he is in the wall, he rips the entire roof off of it. I have no idea how he managed to get the leverage to do this. Like, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But he does it. He's very strong. Yes. So he does that. Um, And the people who are inside the building taking, well, not even taking shelter, but they were in the building when Muscular attacked are like, oh, we can't even see the boy. What's with all the smoke? Uh, and uh, Deku rushes in and drops off Yo. Uh, and then he leaves and he vows that there's not going to be any further damage, uh, to the buildings and stuff, which I don't know how much he can guarantee, but it's what he says. Um, so he then starts talking to himself, uh, apparently freely communicating with the past vestiges of one for all. Uh, he's talking to one of the two uh, people who was facing the wall in that scene we saw a few chapters ago, who has a smokescreen quirk, which he is currently using. Uh, so he gets to do his uh, Mask of the Phantasm act from Batman. There's so much Batman you can read into his current appearance. Uh, and... Then there's just like, you know, talking about stuff. They are basically like generally advising him, like, don't spread yourself too thin with all this stuff. And also don't rely too heavily on the quirks that you have. Don't think of them as like, oh, these are my greatest weapons. Think of them as simply tools in your arsenal. And don't give us too much credit for having these quirks. The real power is just one for all itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Deku, you know, starts just kind of doing a bunch of things. He floats, uses smoke screen, he uses danger sense within the smoke screen to dodge muscular's attacks. He uses the black whip to, you know, throw stuff. Uh, and muscular refers to these as cheap party tricks, which given that the last time that they fought, they basically just had a screaming muscle match. I can understand where he's going. I was going to say, if, if you had a hot, a hoss match against somebody and the next match, like big show pulled out like a hurricane, you'd be like, what? Fucking horseshit is this, buddy. It was good because you did the thing, and now you're trying to, oh, oh, guys, look, I've got this thing I call the Colossal Clutch. No! (laughs) It's boring. (laughs) Just punch people. Don't make it, don't try to make it like your punch knocks people out. Like, fully Medweather, because you lost that match, so I don't know why you carried on using that as your finisher for so long. <laughs> you were in one boxing match, and you lost. <laughs> it's my move, guys. <laughs> well, but you punch people, like, all the time with, like, you, you do the giant overhand chops and stuff. Why not instead just go, Ugh. <laughs> and then you'll win. But that's no, you got to build up the finisher meter. That's how wrestling works. Uh, wrestling's dumb. It is. Uh, so Deku, the wants to reach people and try to save them and not fight them if unnecessary. Deku, uh, tries talking to muscular, tries, he tries to armchair psychologist this guy and see what really makes him tick. Unfortunately, what makes muscular tick is being an asshole. So it doesn't work. 
Uh, he just likes indulging in fun, living life to the fullest by raging as much as he possibly can and destroying stuff and killing people. He does not care about anything else. He is just an asshole. So Deku has to fight him. He has, there is no, you know, deeper reasoning that he can reach. Uh, the only th- and muscular flat out says all you'll find in my soul is blood and violence. And of course, Deku thinks about Kota, who was left a freaking orphan because of this guy's penchant for violence. And so he decides after thinking about Shigaraki, who he wants to save, because when he looks deep inside of him, he sees a scared little boy. It seems like this fight is inevitable, but at least I want to learn what makes him tick deep down. Muscular is disappointed in all this touchy-feely bullcrap, but when he tries to attack Deku, um, all of his muscles suddenly don't work anymore. They just start to unfurl off of his body. And Deku says, in the gas between those muscles you coat yourself with, the strands deplete of energy tend to rip and tear away. Um, which muscular refers to as a sneaky little tactic, or he starts to because Deku rushes in and punches him in the gut uh, before he can reform his shield of muscles and uh, seemingly beats him in this one punch. Uh-huh. Uh, that's where the chapter ends, is in the aftermath follow-through of the punch. Deku sa- tra- starts to like say something very long um, in the midst of this punch, uh, and then tries to cap that off with a one-liner, which means that he still hasn't gotten this whole superhero thing down yet. You gotta just, you know, be quick and snappy all the way through. You can't go like, well, you see, the, the muscle armor, the way that it works, he's, this is my power. It's, it's, it's like, that's, that's lame, Deku. It doesn't work, so. Yeah, uh, I actually like this chapter quite a lot, though, um, in the grand scheme of things. I really, really like the moment where the, I don't even know, did we... I guess he developed smoke screen quirk off screen. That's a new one, I right? I think so. Okay. So I like the moment where that discussion's happening and it just shows the visual image of Deku with all these quirks as basically like gadgets. Uh, some people in our Discord are mentioning that uh, original Deku wasn't meant to have any powers. It was just supposed to kind of have gadgets as his way of mm. fighting. Uh, but then somebody was like, yeah, that, you know, eventually those characters get outclassed or whatever. But So it kind of felt like the addition of these extra quirks would kind of place this way. I do feel like a nice melding of the two where none of these powers on their own are so crazy. You're like, Oh, this is almost like a whole new character, but they do add like a, a nice level of versatility to Deku that, that makes him pretty cool. And I do just like him beating muscular in a chapter, basically and being like, boom, you're fucking lame to me now. Yeah. And Shindo he's helps. got all these different methods of approaching stuff, and also he's just generally stronger. But yeah, the extra quirks, I do like that it's just kind of fully solidified now. Like, it doesn't matter how many quirks the Deku gets, they're never going to completely change the way that a fight with Deku feels. It'll just allow him to approach things from slightly more complex angles and in slightly more creative ways. Um, and they're just kind of like little folds that get put on top of it. It's not like, you know, it's like, you know, adding stuff, adding powers to Luffy where he still always is like a, a rubber punchy guy, no matter how many different powers he gets on top of that. So. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and I like this chapter, too. Um, not quite as much as the previous one, honestly, just in terms of like, I thought that the visual that it ended on of Deku showing up was was a lot more powerful the way it ends here. I think the final moment is kind of weird. But I also do like that Deku gives a little bit of credit to Yo for setting things up for him to so easily win this battle. We don't fully know if Deku completely one on one with muscular would have had this easy of a time beating him. So. All right. Well, we have no monthly series to talk about this week or a regular That's series. Right. So we're going to move right into Eden Zero, Chapter 139, The White Flash. And our cover page this week is not Cheesecake Shot. Instead, it is a helpful no. map to show us all the players that are currently involved in this and where they are. So, um, is it helpful? I mean, to a certain extent, it keeps you reminded of the different players. That's true. I was gonna say, uh, so like we 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 can see like the Eden Zero and everything, and then you're reminded like Justice and Jaguar are coming to help the Interstellar Army, and then Ziggy and Elsie, I guess, are supposed to be important, uh, but they aren't involved yet. But the best part is a little chibi version of Poseidon Nero, who's just floating over the temple, saying, "I will do nothing." <laughs> that is the best part of this. Yeah. I saw that. And I was like, "All right." That's that's pretty great. I mean, <laughs> at, at least that they're willing to make kind of little jokes like that about him. Um, but I personally thought that the way it quote unquote mapped things out did not actually do a whole lot to actually map out the situation as it currently is. Um, but it is a nice little reference sheet to have in terms of like, here are the major players involved. I will say that. I yeah. will agree on that. If we're, if we're going to go under the impression that this is supposed to be an actual major war, uh, arc and a lot of different players are involved, it's probably, it's probably a good idea to kind of give us at least a heads up of who's involved. So people who aren't remembering every chapter as they come out, don't forget like, oh, right. There's more interstellar members coming or, oh, right. Elsie said she was going after Ziggy. So it's, uh. It's good to know that before they arrived at Sandra, the sand planet, mm -hmm. they were at Forrester, the forest planet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then Red Cave, the Red Cave planet. Maybe yeah. the Al Cosmos is just a boringly named planet. Like it was yeah. it was it was explored by the least creative person imaginable. Like, sir, you've you've discovered the planet of Forest, and as the first person ever here, you get to name it. What would you like to name this forest planet? Like, uh Oh, Forest. Uh <laughs> Forrester! Forrester! Excellent! <laughs> we'll write it on the map. He's like, no, wait, I had a better one. Oh, fuck. <laughs> you imagine just Star Wars, but the planets are named like they are in, in Eden Zero. Wook Wookietopia! Like, mm, I think we could have tried harder on this one, <laughs> Mr. Lucas. Uh, Hotland! <laughs> Uh, so we open the chapter where uh, Eraser's army is about to go up against Shura's fleet. Uh, and there's uh, a call basically from Justice who's like, hey, don't you fucking start this. We're not there yet. Don't get involved. And Eraser's like, sucks to suck, nerd. We <laughs> you have no jurisdiction over me. And he basically like turns off the comm. Uh, Jaguar does note like, hey, what are the forces we're kind of looking at? And he's like, uh, you know, there's a lot here, about 10 times my fleet. We won't know how many are waiting on the planet surface, but eh, don't worry about it. It'll be fine. I'll have erased them all before you even arrived. And you're like, oh, yes. Everyone got to... Yeah, he's, he's, he's an eraser. Um, we cut on to the planet. Shura is going inside his little, like, hangout chamber where all of his, like, NASA slash Imperial officers are around their stations for battle duty or whatever. And his... I forgot his gigantic chested secretary. Um, yeah. She's there as well. 
it's not just that she's gigantic chested. It's that like her dress is very much designed to make well, not even dress. Her her outfit is is like look here, yeah. just look right here at the cleavage. And again, I, I believe this was a fan design thing. So it's it's like Hero could have made an alteration to this design if he wanted to, but I feel like he or was like he saw it and was like perfect. <laughs> you read my mind, kid. Yeah. Uh, so the fight starts happening, and obviously the interstellar army is pretty hopelessly outmatched here. Ten times the other four, so they're just getting shot down, and Shura's just laughing about it. He he even says, like, this is wonderful. I wonder how many of them are dead. Um, Davos... Oh, sorry. Sorry. I just noticed how stupid uh, the Nero army's uniform is. Yeah, it's pretty dumb. They've got... The, it's because... Because it's Nero, so it's kind of themed on, you know, ancient Greek or ancient Roman thing. But it's also a space army. So it's like if people on Star Trek or Star Wars wore their, you know, oh, modern looking military uniform. But then they just wore a toga over that. It's very dumb. <laughs> uh, so, uh davos soldier i don't think he has a name but he reminds me of davos from game of thrones is immediately like uh you know our side has suffered casualties as well but you know the eradication is only a matter of time and then he's like jesus sorry i just <laughs> tits are humongous anyway why is she here you can't have your consorts here that was a big big bad move because uh sure is just like ajuna is my secretary and davos general is like but didn't she used to be and sure interrupts him to start force murdering him and is like i said she's my secretary and i love it because davos was like no don't kill me it's my daughter's wedding next week he's just like it's my daughter's wedding (laughs) next week oh it's my grandmother's cancer appointment Today at three. <laughs> uh, give me one sec here. Yeah, for some reason, Comixology decides every so often to not load pages, and then I tried to load them, and it decided to log me out of the whole fucking website. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good design when that happens. It seems yeah. like every single time that I open up a Crunchyroll tab, it logs me out. So, uh, I feel you. Yeah. Uh, not a whole bunch happens here. Basically, sure, it's just like grunt should be grunt work and blows the person up. It was a general too. Uh, and eventually he's like, all right, I want cool stuff to happen. So he's like, bring me the penis ship. <laughs> and they bring out the most phallic looking warship they have. Uh, the Kraken class cruiser, one of the Empire's capital ships. And it has it's basically like a Reaper for Mass Effect where all of its tentacles become laser beams that just cut through fucking everything. They're just destroying things. And Eraser's like, I'm sorry, fallen comrades. But now my ether, my ether is charged. I guess it has to be charged by the death of his friends, or else a lot of people might question why you didn't come into this fight with your ether charged. Yeah, why didn't you just like stay back for like five more minutes before you charged in? This guy's a terrible general. But he does establish what I assume is a theme of the uh, interstellar Eration Six Interstellia, whatever the fuck their stupid name is. he activates his ether gear and his whole appearance changes with his hair and everything. 
And I just assumed they all do that because it'd be weird if only two of them had that gimmick. So looking forward yeah, to the other weirder ones. Weirder than if one did it, yes. Uh, so he gets on top of his ship and everyone's like, what the fuck? That dude's in space. And then he just kind of makes like an energy sword or something out of ether and just starts kind of swiping at the air. And everything that he kind of paints over just gets erased. The, cla- the Kraken class warship, all these things, all these ships just vanished. And sure, it's just like, oh, well, well, well. And uh, Eraser says, I will erase everything that stands in my way. There's far too much dust on this canvas. It also looks like he's erased his own junk mm-hmm. because he is very flat down there. Yeah. Um, no need for penises, Nick, when you could erase things from existence. Oh, yeah, you know, it's it's like, you know, or, sex is great and all, but have you tried erasing an entire ship from a cosmic battle with a wipe with your hand? Yeah, so, that so. does sound like more of the lifestyle I'd like to live. Uh, also, theoretically, his ether gear, uh, so we don't see a penis there, but we do see something long hanging out of his arm. Perhaps he moves his penis there and erases things with his penis. <laughs> it just turns into a giant eraser. <laughs> Uh, I actually thought this was where the chapter ended. There's actually two more pages, but then it turns out yeah. nothing important happens in it. Basically, yeah. it's uh, Goodwin and Ch- uh, Cheeky. You're like, let's go. Yeah, it's a very flat ending to the chapter, honestly, because they just they say nothing, honestly. I assumed uh, you'd rather end it with this new character's big ability being revealed. Well, no, the, the Cheeky talking to the cat boy is much more interesting. I mean, in a way it is, because that cat's just great. Did you see the video of the the cat that got awarded a medal? No, I did not. It's like a cat saved a guy. I think it was in Japan, and they took the cat to a ceremony and like dressed him up in a little suit and gave like. And you can see see the cat just fucking hates it. The cat's like, I hate every fucking part of it. <laughs> like they, they put a little like policeman suit on the cat, and, like had it like get a medal of honor and like put its fucking paw print on shit. And this cat's like, I, I shouldn't have saved that fucking. Let old me thing. sleep. <laughs> Why didn't you just give me food? You know what I want. Let me poop on things. <laughs> Tons of attention from strangers has never been my favorite thing. Uh, oh, God. The only thing that I found actually really interesting about this chapter was actually the establishment that Ijuna and uh, uh, Shak, Shab, Shura, Shura uh, th- that they have an odd relationship. And I like that someone was like, Oh, uh, it's kind of weird that she's here because, you know, and so it's it indicates that they met in a weird way, but they ended up getting a, a working relationship out of it. So that actually sounds kind of interesting. Yeah, I'll be curious to see what sort of the the long term implication of that is, you know, as we surely will get some fight with her at some point or something down the line. Maybe if they are suggesting that Ijuna used to be a consort of Shura's. Maybe he, like his dad, also rolls dice. And so he does it every time he sleeps with a woman. And he has to do it to decide if he's going to kill her for no reason <laughs> or they get a job. So. Or if he's midway through and he has to roll to find out if he's supposed to actually orgasm or not. And he's just like, <laughs> she's just like, babe. Oh, well, all right. <laughs> She, she's like let me see those dice you did this last time and those don't look like the same numbers she's like the dice work in mysterious ways I have to go <laughs> just picks up everything runs out the room did I say I have to leave now 
Did I say I'll Venmo you gas money later? <laughs> oh god! Oh god! He just uses it as an excuse for like. Oh, he's a all, dead. He's all a. Of his, like all of his all of his closeted shames. They're like, I mean, like. You're the son of, like, the emperor of space. I'll do this for you if you want to. No, no, it's just because I say so. <laughs> he's a deadbeat. He's, like, at dinner, and he's like, uh, the dice say one bill, but I won't split checks or something like that. They're like, hold on a moment. This is bullshit. <laughs> oh, the dice say that you you really like me, and you're doing this. Today. No, fuck you. No, <laughs> Did I say I have to talk in this movie theater? <laughs> I don't. That's what, what I have to do. Did I say I get a bigger slice of cake than everyone else? <laughs> Did I say I don't share my birthday cake this year? I eat the whole thing. <laughs> you didn't even roll the dice last time. Uh, no, I rolled it earlier in the day, and they told me not to roll the dice later on. <laughs> that's that's what that roll was for. <laughs> so. Nero uses his dice as an excuse to be very lazy. Sure, uses his dice as an excuse to be a dickhead. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> We've established this. It's good. Yeah. Oh, all right. We have new manga to talk about. Uh, as uh, we've got a few manga that are ending right now. Of course, Phantom Seer ended like, what, a week or two ago? I forget exactly Phantom, when it was. Phantom but... Seer ended two weeks ago and Build King just ended this past week. In a great way so, too, by the way. It really it's it's like a special moment where like the, the house that they boarded originally shows up and is like, I was an ancient superpower and hanging inside of me made you gods or something like that. <laughs> and then it just ends and it's like, it's not actually the end, buy our volume for the last chapter. Like <laughs> no one's doing no one's buying this. Yeah, I, I remember looking at like those the sales numbers recently. I was like, oh shit, it's not doing well. No. Uh, although Sakamoto Days is apparently doing very well, uh, which I'm sure you're ecstatic about. Well, here's the okay. thing. I will note this. I read everything. Sakamoto Days is a lot better. It is That's a good. very, very good action series. It is a dog shit comedy series. So when it does cool action scenes, right. it's great. When it tries to make you laugh, awful. So that's my place with it right now. Cool. This update on Sacramento Days has been brought to you by. I don't know. So Blue Box. <laughs> about one. Water. <laughs> Blue Box uh, actually rang a bell with me because it was a one shot that ran in Jump last year. So it's been adapted into an ongoing story. And you can kind of tell because the story feels like it's just about to be absolutely 100% complete and then it isn't <laughs> there's a setup for an ongoing plot i heard so. that this one was like super anticipated in japan at least that's that's the word on the street i heard like i guess the the one the, shot was so well received that people were pretty excited for this one i get the impression that it must have because this is a kind of series we have not really seen in shonen jump in quite a while uh it's a very earnest romance story um there's like for now we'll see for now 
It definitely has set up at the end of the chapter, you know, comedic misunderstandings may ensue, hijinks may occur and stuff like that. But this one single chapter just dealt with like a very innocent, earnest feelings, it seemed like to me. Um, so for those reasons, simultaneously, it's going to depend on how the next two chapters play out. But I feel as though, one, I liked it. It was nice. And two, I don't think we're going to cover this long term because I don't know, unless it like it's just like really good or very different. It doesn't seem like it's got to be very exciting, but we'll we'll wait a couple chapters before we make that judgment call. Um, Blue Box, Chapter 1, Shinatsu Senpai, introduces us to uh, our two main characters, Taiki Inamata and uh, Shinatsu Kano. Shinatsu is in her first year of high school. Taiki is in his third year of junior high. They're at a joint high and junior school, so they run into each other despite that separation and stuff. Uh, so they're both like into athletics. Taiki is is into badminton. He apparently was like part of the club, but he's not really anymore. He just still hangs out with them. Uh, and Shinatsu is very into basketball. She's like the team's ace. A lot of people depend on her. Uh, and she works very, very hard in order to live up to those expectations. She's been in like magazines and stuff. She's this incredibly popular figure and Taiki likes her. Uh, but he likes her because he's seen her just in terms of the context of when she goes out really early and she gets, it is training by herself and he, you know, likes how dedicated she is to her goal and stuff. And I don't want to take us through the entire chapter beat by beat because it's all kind of just building up to this idea that, uh, Taiki's trying to get close to this girl and everyone's kind of like i mean she's kind of out of your league dude because she's like perfect and everyone likes her and you're i mean you're you you know um but taiki gradually does get closer to her over the course of the chapter uh while also kind of being said like don't fucking blow it don't blow it don't blow it don't blow it don't blow it but you know, his genuine niceness draws them closer. Like he sees that she is, you know, cold or he thinks that she's cold. And he like springs into action and is like, you know, uh, like he's like, oh, here, uh, I've got this scarf that you can borrow. And she's like, OK, do you have anything else you're going to pull out? And he's like, yeah, she's like, no, I was kidding. But, you know, his he's very sincere in his kindness and stuff. And. She's like, yeah, that's OK. You can keep trying. And then also through this, she learns his name, which was something that he was very nervous about because he's like, I know who you are. Do you know who I am? He's like, no, that'll be stupid and lame and, and weird. But because he he gave her his scarf, she read his name tag that his mom had written on there so that people could identify whose scarf it was. <laughs> so the world's most embarrassing way to, you know, like, oh, yeah, OK, so. He thinks that he can still try and get closer and stuff like that. Um, she, they go and they get kind of like practice together later. And they talk a bit about their different approaches to sports and how the reason he likes badminton is because it's a very solo thing. And he just, you know, can, you know, take full um, ownership of his failures and his successes, whereas 
Chinatsu has this kind of pressure on her to succeed because of her teammates. Um, and he tells her about how one time a year and a half ago, he saw her after, uh, their team, uh, lost and she was practicing really hard by herself because they just barely missed going to nationals. And so she really took it hard and was like crying while practicing and throwing baskets over and over again. And he's, and he says, that must've crushed you. When I thought of how hard you must've worked to feel crushed, I told myself I should work just as hard. And Chinatsu, this seems to really strike a chord in her for a reason Taiki doesn't know until later uh, when it turns out eventually that Chinatsu's family is supposed to go overseas because of, you know, parental work reasons and stuff like that. So she's not going to be able to pursue her goal. So when Taiki learns about this, he immediately rushes out to basically beg Chinatsu not to give up on her goal because he knows how hard she's already worked for it. And, you know, the fact that there is this situation that she has no control over. He's like, no, I, that can't be that, you know, you can't have control over this anymore. Uh, you've got to still fulfill that goal and go to nationals and stuff. Please don't give up. And he's just like going on this whole ramble by himself. And eventually Shots is like, oh, yeah, I'm not going overseas. Um, my family's going, but I made arrangements to stay at a family friend's house. So I'm still going to be going for that dream. And she says it's going to be hard because I'm going to miss my family. But I had the opportunity to remember how the season ended for me in junior high. And I realized how badly I wanted to do this and I didn't want to give up. And it's all thanks to you. So thank you. And so because Taiki gave her that encouragement without knowing the context, it made her make this decision to keep on going. And so it's very it's a very sweet thing. And I feel like this entire story could have actually ended like literally right here because I think that that would wrap everything up in a neat little bow. But we're going to keep on doing this story and uh, we'll see where it goes from here. As it turns out, the family friend is actually Taiki's mom because they used to be on the basketball team back when they were in high school. And so Chinatu is going to be staying in Taiki's house while she tries to go to nationals and stuff. By the way, this is not a sports series. I want to I want to point that out right now. This is not a sports manga. It's just the context for a romance, it seems like. So. Yeah. Uh, although it does seem her motivation right now is to get to national. So yes, theoretically, her playing basketball should be a central element of this series. Theoretically. Um, so I like this series a lot from the first chapter. I, I didn't like it. It's not like I loved it. This is the greatest thing ever. But I did really enjoy it uh mostly because it just felt very different from the yeah. series like everything else it really felt like an innocent earnest romance series um there's no like weird fan service or a bunch of really dumb jokes or anything like that it just felt like it was a very cute series the art is very well done um and i'm looking forward to seeing what happens now i know this is jump uh, people even said there was a little bit of fan service even in the original one shot, so it's very likely that kind of stuff could be added in. I'd hope it's kind of kept to a minimum because it's nice having something a little bit different. Um, but I did enjoy a lot of aspects of the series. I do think it is a weirdly unfortunate situation that this series came out like, what, seven weeks after Witch Watch, which has 
essentially the same central premise of a romance series mm. where a boy and a girl have to live together basically true 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 um but you know i i'm still optimistic about it yeah and uh so yeah i hadn't thought i hadn't made that connection they're definitely very different types of manga even with that same uh plot summary it, plot it, it helps that witch watch has also been moving into becoming a reverse harem as well so okay i've been reading it i spared myself that fate uh so. this week the main character punched a dress off the main character or the female lead the dress was evil <laughs> oh <laughs> well then it was justified <laughs> violence against clothing i guess just punch the dress straight off yep Let's move over to the Elusive Samurai, Chapter 12, Sneaking In, 1333. Uh, so Genba has just been duped, question mark, into helping out uh, Takemoto and company because he wanted money and not something of actual value, apparently, uh, in exchange for his thieving abilities. Uh, and immediately, uh, Kojiro and Shizuku start taking like the guises of like the dev the shoulder devil and shoulder angel to try and like I guess push him towards like hey you should still help us out which I mean he already agreed to so I don't know why exactly they're doing this but whatever um so Gimba gets really pissed at them for doing this uh and so instead he calls over and says hey uh, if you want to steal this command from Ogasawara's residence, that's dangerous work. And I'm not going to risk my life for an irresponsible employer, so I'll only do it if you come with me. And I'll decide between getting money and a province after you prove yourself to me. And he's like, all right. So, not put up by this at all. So just the two of them alone are the ones that go into this residence. But we do get to see a bit of the planning that went on ahead of time. Shizuku apparently is very talented at this kind of thing. She like has drawn up a map and given them she gives them, you know, like the the okay, so here's the operation we're gonna run down, and here's where the vault is. She basically runs them through that kind of thing. Um and uh of course, if they get caught, they're gonna get killed because Yeah. I mean, that's kind of that's I think that we can say that unless they say explicitly otherwise in this series if he gets caught he's gonna die that's that's just a given it mm -hmm. feels like so um so tokiyuki uh and gemba are gonna go sneaking in we see uh sadamune um is it sadamune or sadamura i always forget i get those two mixed up so much whatever ogasawara let's call him that ogasawara is he's like stroking the Imperial order while his eyes bulge out. He's a very strange man. So, uh, he's going to, uh, go to bed. <laughs> I don't know. Um, while, so Genba and Tokiyuki are going to sneak in. The others are just kind of like waiting for a signal. Uh, we see Kojiro and Ayako talking about it while they're outside. And Kojiro's like, can we trust this guy? What if he just is luring him in to a trap so that he can get a reward for this? But Ayako says, well, Yorishige recommended him. He recommended the young lord himself. So let's, you know, 
trust him because that that decision worked out right. So um, they're just staying put after that. Um, we see Genba doing a bunch of ninja stuff to get over a wall and into the compound and stuff like that. Uh, he thinks that Tokiki might be scared to follow after him, but instead he, you know, is like blushing and is all excited and stuff because Tokiki has a very odd way of getting excited about being chased. Anyway, so I like other characters starting to acknowledge it too, though. They're like, are you blushing? <laughs> are you, why are you so excited by this? Are you all right. Okay. Um, he starts to kind of mock Tokiyuki saying, hey, you know, you're the kid of a big shot warrior. How do you feel about, you know, sneaking around and just doing whatever you are? tells you to do. But Tokiyuki says, well, I swallowed my pride back when I fled Kamakura and everyone in Sua has been very kind and has sheltered me since. And that's why they're in this predicament. So if I can help them by stealing this Imperial command, then I can repay them. And there's no disgrace in that. He's a good boy, deep down. So, Genba's like, whatever, boring, dull, ah, uh, goodness, whatever, give me money. So, uh, he says he only trusts in what is palpable. Money and fear get results. And he tells a really weird story from there. He says, a woman once refused to pay me for investigating an affair, so I snuck in her house and mixed rice with cockroaches and urine and steamed it up. And then I rolled around naked in her kimono and soiled it. And then I refolded it neatly. Okay. So you're crazy. <laughs> he's me, way too much. work. He, he's me when I was 21. And my biggest threat towards people was I'm going to break into your house and poop in your cereal. <laughs> But he actually did it. <laughs> yeah, I never actually. Well, that I can say out loud, it's never happened. Right. To to everyone's knowledge, except for Frank, no one knows if I did it or not. <laughs> All right. Um, Tokyuki says he's like Kojiro, but meaner. But I don't know if Kojiro has ever threatened to shit in someone's kimono and refold it. So. I don't know. It feels like it, it feels like if you draw a comparison between anyone, even if you put foot on the but meaner, it's like, why are you drawing that comparison? That's such a weird thing that he actually did. Anyhow. It, is it meaner or just more rude? <laughs> uh, Genba says people only trust what they can see and therein lies my artifice. So he just suddenly walks out from their hiding spot into the open and Tokiyuki gets really scared for a second and thinks, oh, my God, well, if he's going to just sell me out and this is just it. But then when Genba approaches the guards, he is wearing Sadamune's face and he's like, there's a few nails loose on the northern wall and he directs them over there. And at first they're very confused, like you never ordered us to leave. You ordered us to not leave this spot. And they're like. What if the enemy stabs me in my sleep? I'll have you both killed for not fixing things. And so they get scared and they they rush off to go and do this. And uh, Genba then reveals that by applying clay to a fox mask, I can replicate most anyone's face. 
Sure. <laughs> I guess he also mimics their height as well, or Sadamune yeah. is just as short as this 12-year-old kid or whatever. <laughs> Sir, why do you have fox ears coming out of your head? I felt like it. Well, they actually right. address that. He's he says, this is why the ears. And he just says, it makes me cuter. Aren't they striking? And he's like, hey, guy's like, uh, all right. Yeah, very striking. Bye. Uh, so anyway, so he does, he does that, calls Tokiyuki over and he unlocks the door, the locks in the door really, really easily. And, and Tokiyuki realizes that, Oh, he must have been in disguise at some point while I was at the shrine. And that's how he knew how to identify me as soon as he met me. Uh, Genba says, you know, I'll bet that you thought I was going to turn you into Sadamune. And that's understandable. I steal both valuables and identities. And he applies clay to his mask again and assumes Tokiyuki's appearance. And he says, can you really trust me as your retainer when a million warriors have already betrayed you. Uh, and Tokyuki doesn't really have an answer for this. He looks very put off by the question as we cut away to the large-eared man that works for Sadamune, Ichikawa Sukefusa, uh, who is awake in his bed, pressing one of his ears to the ground. And he says to himself, I hear whispers in the storehouse, the whispers of two boys and the guards are off chatting at the north wall. So he gets someone's attention and says to awaken Sadamune uh, and to summon the guards uh, and to do it all quietly. And he grabs his sword then and says, if I had not been here this dark night, we wouldn't be able to put some children's heads on display. Very cool. I hope so. there's like a treasure and he has like a gigantic tongue and he's just like, oh, I can taste the air around us to know where the enemy are. Like it's just humongous. <laughs> like it's just all the senses. Some dude with gigantic hands. With a, there's one guy with a giant nose. So anyway, I think that I should win tonight. <laughs> oh, it's a Triple H joke. It's an old Triple H joke. Oh, yeah. It was, what was the old one? It was like, if you and Steph had a baby, it would be 10 pounds of pure nose or something like that. It was like a Jericho <laughs> joke or a Stone Cold joke back in the day. Oh, boy. Uh, so this was a fun little chapter, getting to know Genba a little bit better as they're going on this mission. It's it's, it's a nice approach to see Tokiyuki and Genba just getting to know each other more and uh, see the kind of obstacle standing in the way of Gemba joining them long term, this complete lack of uh, cohesion between their values. Um, but also, I like the way that they're building up Gemba as being, you know, very fitting for the elusive warriors. He's elusive in a very different way. He can, you know, be evasive while just walking right in front of you. It's mm -hmm. cool. Yeah, I like it. I didn't like this chapter as much as last week's, uh, but I still thought this was a pretty cool chapter for him to show off his abilities. Yeah. And again, I got to keep the recap short so we can spend more time talking about I Tell C. I Tell C, <laughs> chapter 11, uh, which is, is, is the title here? Is it, is it at the end? Is it at the end? Okay. So... That wonderful bank robbery story uh, gets a beauty, long, by the way. 
a long aftermath. It takes up so much time to do all of this. Uh, I'm like gradually like walking myself mentally through the chapter before I actually read through it. And I'm like, oh, right. It ended on that fucking note, <laughs> which seems to have been the way we've ended the last four or five chapters of this series in a row. But anyway, <laughs> chapter 11 of I Tell C is titled Beauty. So Aoi and Sakon arrest the robber guy who is thinking to himself, I shouldn't have tried robbing a bank. I bet these two are on the top of on top of the world right now, like a couple of heroes. Uh, but when they go out to the police vehicle, um, all the cops' faces are like blacked out because they are very judgy mudgy uh, towards the eye investigation division and how they do things. But their plan was so perfect and so simple and foolproof. She's, they both snuck in, and Iowa immediately gave them away. And <laughs> this team's uh, fucking iron. All right, you can't you can't get through them. Iron curtain of of, of talent. Uh, the chief is very angry at them, and says, "I'll never recognize your division." Uh, Akiraka says, "Don't throw things." Don't be rebellious at your age. You're making your hair slip. And the chief is like, this is not a hair piece. Okay. I'm more confused by what happens after this because we cut to the cab and Sakan is just lifting a dumbbell. And I sat there. You're ar- not mash. I, I was well, not mash. <laughs> I also sat there. I was like, was this a joke about Sakan that I forgot he had? Because they do it again later. When they explain he drinks protein beer, and I was like, was him being like a big like athlete or like a you know workout warrior like a joke of his previously? No. Okay. Maybe in chapter one, but it's oh, not. God. Thing well, Nick, this is chapter one. At the end of the chapter, we find out this was just the precursor. To everything. <laughs> stop! 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 We get. We're going. So then they get back to the precinct. And a few days later, the robber, whose name is Teruhiko, he has a mohawk. And the mohawk is like six feet high. And I always like, wow, your mohawk's really big. How would you fit it under your mask? It's funny because his hair is so long and so pointy and it somehow fit in that mask. Yep. He looks like a completely different person without the mask on. It's almost like maybe they shouldn't have just put it under a ski mask and they should have put the distinguishing feature visible through it, but whatever. She got some ramen from the shop that Teruhiko likes, and she offers to let him drink the broth through a straw through the interrogation, not interrogation, the uh, visitor's center screen. And he's not happy about this. Uh, he asks how she knew what ramen shop he liked, and she said, oh, you mentioned it in a direct message to a fan, which doesn't comfort him in any way. And then she says, why do you know about my direct messages? And she poses. Um, yes. 
So yes, that answers that uh, clearly. Um, and it's a joke, clearly, um, in terms of how she answers it. But then she answers much more sincerely and says, well, it's because I love you. Okay. Uh, which Teruhiko's like, well, if you loved me, then why did you arrest me? And Teruhiko's like, yeah, you're right. And Teruhiko's like, Wait, why are you on this side of the visiting center now? And she does the same pose. See, it's funny. Repetition's funny. Um... If you do the same joke twice, then uh, it's a joke because it's done twice. Uh, comedy. I believe, so we all know the first rule of improv is yes and. Second rule is do it twice, no more. So she strikes this pose and uh, it's comedy because she did it twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is what makes it funny is that she did it twice. Now, Nick, There's like I... also an important conversation that happens here, but I honestly... Is there? It's supposed <laughs> to be. It is supposed to be revealing and important. It isn't because Aoi's character has been incredibly muddled by this development and change to it that was, you know, incurred by the appearance of this, you know, evil rival figure from her past. And she says, I've never arrested anyone myself before. And I only acknowledge the negative emotions behind your crime. I wouldn't want you to commit any new crimes while I'm by your side. Uh, and Teruhiko says, well, I never planned on committing any crimes aside from that one. So why did you arrest me? And she says, because I got a lot of people in trouble and now they won't allow me to do as I please. Like before they'll force me to quit the force if I don't have some accomplishments or whatever. Also, she's brought a picnic basket because she's a romantic and she's dating this guy now in her mind. And also... Um, there's no guard in this room to look over the prisoners, or if there is, he's the most chill guard in the world because he's allowing her to bring a basket into this room without searching its contents for potential escape devices. So. I think there's an even bigger problem than that, Nick. Uh, she brought a picnic of nothing but sandwiches. Like, bitch, come on. Chips? Something? No one needs sandwiches just alone. You need a side or something. It, it, it's not a picnic if I'm just going to eat like six sandwiches and then feel really bloated afterwards. You know who You know who would have thought about this? Megumi. Because that was her whole cooking style was being considerate of others. Now she also would have lost the shukukeki to nobody. <laughs> the shukukeki to the invisible prison guard. <laughs> But she would have also shown a lot of promise. Yes. And <laughs> indications that she might win the next one. She could. Next time is her time. Oh, gosh. So. Terrico says a detective who loves criminals is one hell of a contradiction. No, it's not. Uh, why are you willing to go that far to stay a cop? And I always says, I guess so I can see you, Mr. Terrico. So sorry for making you deal with my selfish love. And Roriki goes like, I don't understand what is going on. Good company. Uh, so he says, well, even if I do get out of the slammer, no one's going to accept a criminal like me. 
And Ms. Iowi says, don't worry. And she's put on a business suit to which Tariko says, what are you, a quick change artist or something? And she then goes on to say, well, I know you know a friendly older gentleman who would employ people in your predicament. And then she removes the business suit in one gesture, showing that, yes, she is a quick change artist. So that reaction was accurate and not an exaggeration of what was happening, it would seem. Because that's comedy. Accuracy is comedy. So anyway, she points out that, oh, hey, all those people rushed to, you know, yell at you um, when they when you needed them. So that's great that people love you and stuff. But even with all that, if you still think no one will accept you, that the cross you bear for your crimes will end up crushing you, I'll help you shoulder the weight. And for once, she doesn't do the gesture she was doing before, which was to go, hmm, and grab her bicep, which would have made sense. I know that it's like, I'll help you shoulder the weight. But like, if there were, if, if you're going to do a rule of three, this is where you do the, the third one, right? Presumably. Um, am I crazy? No, but I also would like to note that it's like, she's very close to almost figuring out the issue. And then she doesn't. Because, you know, this guy's lamenting. He's like, look, like, I've been arrested now. When I get out of prison, like, the world's going to be hard for me. And she's like, don't worry. I'll help you find a job afterwards. Now, excuse me. I have to go back to my job as a police detective. And you're like, well, that's part of the problem, man. Oh, is she already gone? Uh... And then we get a full, she, Tariko says, why are you going so far for a criminal? And Ms. Iowi says, in a big full page spread, I do it because I love all of you. Okay, so, yeah. I, I have to say, like, I don't know if the... Uh, setup we had at the start of this series of she's a detective who stalks criminals and harasses them into getting arrested because she's sincere in her love of them. Uh, I don't know if that would have ever worked. But this will definitely not <laughs> setting up her new dynamic 10 chapters after that one and it making much less sense because you know what her actual motivation is and how she's actually just doing things now literally because she has to like that is the only reason like she is it's not like she has found a way to properly incorporate her unique mindset into being a cop she's in this chapter saying oh yeah i hate this and i would not do it if i didn't have to so ah, whatever There's some narration that happens about love and people who are terrified of it, but also saved by I always love. And um, though her cat love is cast from the same mold by the time it reaches its target and how it shapes itself or how others perceive it is something not even she will know. How he took her love was also a mystery. I mean, you could have. No, it's not. You could have. Said how he took it. Um, 
instead of waxing poetic on this page, you could have instead had cut to Terry Hugo and be like, well, I'm glad someone's looking out for me or wow, she's weird. You know, I'm sure that he would have said it if you would just focus on him instead of saying it's a mystery because it's not. So she goes and meets with Akiraka and Sakan at a chicken restaurant place. Sakan is somehow drunk. Uh, he offers to he offers Ayoi a beer and she says, it looks like you've had one too many already. And Akiraka is like, well, Risa can't drink beer, so I will instead. And then Sakan says, that's a Sakan patented protein beer. What's the protein? I'm very curious to find know. out what the because pro- if it's protein powder, then the beer will not be translucent anymore. It'll be very cloudy uh, unless it's like, oh, we brewed this with hops and salmon or some, some shit like that. <laughs> uh, I mixed in this pout, this this grain with this chicken. And eventually, I got it to ferment. <laughs> eventually, it took a while. <laughs> I, t- I took an entire thing of chicken broth and just poured it into the beer. Half and half should do it, right? So, <sighs> Sakan tries to offer uh, Risa a, a different drink. And she says, come on, Mr. Sakon, what are you talking about? I can't drink. I'm a minor. And Sakon goes, you're a minor? The series, for a hot second, became a horrifyingly worse series than it was. And then you're just like, never mind. But why the joke then? (laughs) She, in the same panel, says, just kidding. And then... Akiraka goes, tee-hee. And Sakan goes, that's just an excuse to turn down alcohol, right? And Akiraka says, tee-hee-hoo-hee. And Sakan says, answer me, please. The chemistry between these characters is electric. Imagine it. Like, Nick, place yourself at this table right now. We've got these three characters. One of them says, I can't drink, I'm a minor. And one of them's like, what? And she says, nope, just came. Then another character sits back there and it's like a fucking muted salacious crumb. Just like, tee hee <laughs> So, presumably this was brought up for sexual reasons, which means I no, I feel like I, I tell C even more. I don't think it's for that. I, I think it's just because she looks young. I think that's just supposed to be the joke. Then why not clarify if she is or is not a minor, Chris? Well, because... It's so that you can have it either way. That is why. I if I guess that's a way of looking at it. I, I, I'm just assuming it was kind of a dumb joke. <laughs> Listen, if there is a worse possible conclusion I can draw about this series, I will choose to draw it. That's fair. Because I'm not giving it credit for anything. That's fair. I, I want you to do you. So Sakan indicates he knows nothing about Ms. Aoi. Yeah, it's almost like we wasted the past 10 chapters getting to this point 
because the series was supposed to turn out one way and now it's ending in two months, not two months, two months total almost, but whatever. So Akiraka says to Sakan, no need to be so hasty. Oh, ye of a lot of faith. There is no shortage of cases. Just get closer to her through your investigations and get to know her little by little. Yeah, the like... story <laughs> has only just begun. And Zakon <laughs> says, yes, you're right, sir. No. I love it. I love the fucking brazenness. This series that has sunk like a fucking anvil made of bricks in the rankings. Like just fucking plummeted. And it still has the balls to be like, we're just getting started, boyos. What if a month into Raw Underground, after the COVID outbreaks, Shane McMahon had said, Raw Underground has taken the world by storm and is just getting started. How wonderful would that have been? I want, like, if, like, well, you know what? I shouldn't even say it. They did do it. I was about to make a joke about the mummy, and I was like, what if halfway through the mummy, they were just like, well, there's going to be, like, a bunch of these. But they did. They had an entire scene where they're like, we've got, like, six sequels lined up. Look, Dr. Jago, <laughs> Mr. Hyde, Russell Crowe. It's going to be fucking incredible. We're so confident in this. Everyone's going to, we're printing out the t-shirts for the Dooku right now. It's the Dark Universe Cinematic Universe, the Dooku. Some guy tries to flirt with uh, Ms. Aoi. Sakan immediately gets in the way, and the drunk guy's like, But Ow, you're trying to be a hero? And Sakan's like, If she ends up loving you, you're going to be in deep trouble. And the guy starts to say, What are you so concerned about? Because he doesn't know that Aoi is only, you know, in love with criminals and stuff. And then Akiraka suddenly takes over narration of the series and says, this story was the form of her love as seen by me. And he's writing a diary, I guess. Years have passed since that thank you party. Everyone in the I division is gone now. And after all was said and done, I took up the pen. I wanted to give form to Reese's beautiful love. It's long, very long. But this prologue has finally reached its end. It's time to stop letting the moments needlessly tick away and start things off with a befitting first line. Let the first chapter commence. <laughs> and then we get a two-page spread uh, of <laughs> the entirety of the cast thus far, basically. <laughs> I want, like, so, like, the way this scene ends, it's like the editor walks in and takes a look, and they're like, uh, yeah, I don't know about this. <laughs> Your prologue is twice as long as the rest of the series. <laughs> it only goes on for, like, six more chapters. <laughs> I think you need to re redo this one a little bit. Was Hikaru, or whatever the guy's real name was, was he supposed to show up, like, six months into publication and only then would they form the I division and the I division was supposed to last for like a year as they saw various cases and then it would end and there was going to be a time skip and instead of just acknowledging that the series was going to end and coming up with another ending 
the author was just like, no, I wrote out three years of storylines for a long running series. And I'm going to use this outline, even if I have to compress it into three chapters instead of 300. It's a look, it's a treat. Gotta love it. Uh, This is a dumb chapter. It's very, very dumb. Uh, This series continues to get dumber every week as it continues to make more baffling decisions and I do not want this train to stop. I want this series to be allowed to run for 60 more chapters. So I can see when we get to chapter like 52, where the fuck this series thought it was going to go. Because I have no clue what it's trying to do right now. Why are we getting a prologue that seems to indicate all the characters are dead? <laughs> like, I don't know why we're getting that. I don't know what this prologue is for. I don't know what the first chapter is. Like... <laughs> It's it's such a bold move for a series that by this point would know it's in trouble. So, Magachan, God of Destruction, Chapter Thirty Nine. He who rules the school. Mago needs more people to write names in the best friends book to be his disciples, uh, in order to gather power so that he can, you know, be a god again. Uh, but he realizes that at this rate, it's going to take him a really long time in order to get to that point. So he's feeling uh, troubled about this. Ruru, however, brings up that it's about time for the new semester to start. And uh, so she's going to be a third year in junior high now, uh, which means that uh, everyone's going to be shuffled around. And she says she's kind of anxious about this because she's going to have new classmates and she might be separated from the people she gets along with and stuff. However, Magu just hears the words new classmates and is like, ah chance to get some more disciples so that's how things start off uh magu is brought into the club room as as he always is but he's not going to be cooperating this time he is up to something uh we established that uh yuika and go and and ruru are being like split off from each other and stuff uh she happens to however have been sorted into a homeroom with ren and izuma so there's that going on uh, Ren turns into Two-Face uh, via his conflicting emotions over the situation. He is very happy that he's in the same class as Ruru and really, really angry that he is still stuck with Izuma. So upset, one of his eyes is bleeding. You might want to take the, uh, get that looked at, though, dude. So, um, As the teacher is calling, is doing roll call, there is another student present. It's Magu wearing Ren's old school uniform and going by Fujisawa. Uh, he's basically in the stretched out form that he was in when he went to the convenience store way, way back in like chapter 13 or something. Also, Anaris is there because so. <laughs> Leave it to Anaris to hop onto a joke that was kind of funny and make you be like, hmm, okay. I mean, I like that her method of passing as a teenager is to have a side ponytail. That's a little bit funny. But also, I don't think she does anything in this chapter. So I don't know why she's there. Oh, well. There's going to be a character popularity poll and she's going to be like number one. And we're going to be like, oh, it's like Kirisu where the worst character is the one everyone really likes. I don't know. I don't know if you can sexual. Well, no, 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 no I'm not going to complete the. Thought. If, I'll be wrong. If, I'll be wrong. I'll if, be wrong. I'll be wrong. If they're going to sexualize any of them, it's going to be Unaris. 
So, uh, Ren, of course, is very upset about this. Uh, Ruru is also upset at uh, Uniris and uh, and Magu for being so irresponsible. They also established that uh, Magu is in Ren's uniform because his sister was just like, yeah, sure, you can take it <laughs> because she doesn't care. Um, Magu is very, very obviously just like going around if you would be like, you sign your name in this book. And so, I love the directness. He's just like, you sign this book. So uh, Ruru demands that Uneris and Magu go back to the club room and behave themselves. She's very like, mom, oh, you stop it. So they start to go through the hallways. Um, but of course, they don't obey directions. Uneris goes off to, to record children, which <laughs> that sounds so horrifying. <laughs> You don't know what she does with all those recordings. Maybe she... Uh, so... Um, but uh, she also points out another building and says, hey, maybe there are new students in that first-year building over there. So Maga goes off that way to try and get some more disciples. Uh, and then we cut to a scene of two first-year students, one of whom is bullying the other because the bully, uh, whose name is Osuna... Gave an introduction in which he said, I'm going to rule the school. And Nasutani, the bullied, felt as if he should laugh because it seemed like a joke and he wanted the joke to go over well and not have nobody laugh at it. This poor kid. He was just trying to help you not die on stage because he thought you were telling a joke. Would have been an okay joke, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. For some reason, Osuna thought that middle school was going to basically be an anime. Um, so that's why he's really upset. And he's basically taking his anger out of Nasutani that he's not in the fight school where you get into gang fights all the time and get to, you know, call yourself the king and stuff like that. Fortunately, Magu shows up at that very moment to call them lowly humans, demand that they prostrate themselves before him. Uh, so this matches up pretty well with what Osuna wanted. And uh, they clash pretty quickly. And they kind of interpret various things about Magu's appearance uh, as him being, you know, a tough Yankee guy. Uh, and so they think he's a bully. And so I like, you must be the head honcho around here. Just because you're older, though, doesn't mean you can talk big to me. Uh, and Rue fires an eye beam that goes right by his head. And so immediately he's uh, subjugated that way. And Magu forces him to write his name in the best friend's book. Got a disciple. Hooray. Uh, it doesn't seem like he got one from uh, to, from Nasutani uh, because immediately after that, Ruru is looking outside for him. And so he jumps off the roof to go and find her. And this only cements in the two uh, first year's minds that Magu is a tough guy who is not to be trifled with because they don't know he's a weird glob goo that does not feel impacts. And uh, because they went through that together, they ended up becoming friends, apparently. So... That is the end of the chapter. It's fine. It's a funny joke for the most part. Um, it's weird when I see a new character in Magu-chan, immediately my thought is like, I wonder when they get their Pokemon. Because <laughs> I was like, I wonder when they're going to get theirs. Um, is it Pokemon or is it Digimon, though? Because they've got the one paired with them, usually. Uh, I guess it's more along the lines of Digimon, but I feel like Pokemon is just like, that's aesthetically what they are are closer to. Yes, I believe the Magu 
directly compared to a Pokemon in this series. There, there, so. there are no machine guns or random spikes shooting out of fucking <laughs> Magu-chan, so I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Not yet. Well, yeah. I mean, we haven't seen all the full forms. Uh, but, hey, we got plenty of time. It's a good chapter, though. I think it's it's fun. It's perfectly fine, I think. So. Uh, all right. Uh, that brings us to... Nine Balls does... Dragon Parade. Okay. I, I lost track because I don't think I've got... Nine Dragons Ball Parade. I'm never going to get the name of this series right yeah. now. Yeah, we're going to get it right. It's Chapter 9 of Nine Dragon... Not... Nine, 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 nine Dragon's Ball Parade. The battle with Minato Sr. So uh, the helpers uh, for Ayatsuji, a.k.a. Azu and Ryudo and, and everyone are uh, doing really well to start with. Uh, we get some very, very brief introductions to their opponents uh, in Minato Sr., but nothing really None of them really stand out in any case. Mm. So, um, Subaki, their new shortstop, is uh, saying, Hey, uh, Rito, can you like not strike everyone out? Because if your handsome shortstop doesn't get any action, the fans won't be satisfied. And Rito's like, oh, Okay. And Sakura's like, yeah, Don't listen to him. Don't <laughs> <laughs> this is bad advice. Um, but uh, Azu thinks is like, you know, he's actually got a point uh, because Rito has a pitching style which just aims to strike out batters by overwhelming with them with power. And he's pitching fastballs on every single pitch. Uh, he's going to run out of stamina. So in a tournament, he will eventually run out of steam. It's important to get the batter to go after bad pitches so that our fielders can defend the field and so he will preserve his stamina so against minato which is a pretty strong team let's try that and see how well we can do it so they are treating this more as practice and so we kind of walk through a, a an at bat this way azu is going through the strategy figuring out like okay so here's what we should do this is wow each pitch drained this much stamina from ryudo so this is what we'll do and we'll use this guy's habits to force him to swing at a tricky pitch and then he'll knock it up and we can field it towards Tsubaki who will play really good defense and Tsubaki makes a play and he does this big like over the back uh, catch and uh, gets gets the out and uh, through this they get him to just do some quick fielding out so that Ryuto doesn't deplete his stamina. Experiment successful. Uh, so then only at this point does Azu eventually say to Sabaki, by the way, uh, is it okay that we are playing for Ayatsuji? And Sabaki's like, I filed temporary team paperwork for you. Okay. There you go. <laughs> I'm kind of curious what this game is for. Like, has the baseball season started and they're just going to have to enter into it? like six games down or something or is this just an exhibition game or i don't know how the baseball season works in japan i'm not really sure either so oh practice uh, game all right i suppose that makes sense uh subaki is at bat he gets on base really easily uh 
And uh, then Surugi is at bat. And while the coach is like looking over stuff, he's like, huh, he's registered as Surugi. Surugi. Oh, no, it's that really heavily recruited Surugi guy. That's bad. Uh, and um, yes, that happens. Uh, Subaki also uh, does a really good dash home from I think he was just on like first base. So he runs the bases quick, too. Mm-hmm. He is a good all round player who is speedy. Uh, the so I assume Subaki's team is doing pretty well now after four innings. And uh, the other teammates, his teammates are like, this is great. We lost to them so badly last year. And whenever we would make contact with them, we couldn't get anything past their second baseman and shortstop. It was hopeless. And Nazar realizes that they're partial, that half of that unit that they're talking about is the guy who replaced Subaki. Uh, and also, said person is not there right now. Ooh. Uh, and Azu explains to Ryudo, because he knows all this stuff, because he has statistics on everyone, because he's a massive nerd, that the shortstop and second baseman are a well-known keystone combo, a pair that got snatched up by Roku Suikon, one of the top four teams in Western Tokyo, and their perfect coordination is the best in the nation. They're called the Shinonome Brothers, because they're bro- twin brothers whose name is Shinonome. <laughs> It's not a great nickname. <laughs> they're called Hank and Steve Chesterson. Like, God, it sounds like their names. It's not really what they're called. Yes. <laughs> no, their names are Henry and Steven. <laughs> uh, so the twins show up, uh, having just gotten back from orientation at their high school, presumably. And uh, they established, you know, the last four years, we've always ended this game in the mercy rule. So how's it going this year? And uh, their coach is like, oh, come on. You know, are are you being sarcastic? And (laughs) he's like, no, I just can't see the scoreboard. (laughs) Uh, But then he's when he's informed that they're actually losing, he's like, well, what the hell happened? And so he's informed that there are some surprisingly strong players that were brought in for this team. Uh, And uh, when he puts on his nerdy swirly glasses, he sees that Tsubaki is there. I love how they were introduced as these really cool guys. And the more you learn about them is like, God, this guy's kind of a weird loser. (laughs) First and foremost, they're both not introduced as cool. He's introduced as cool and his brother is clearly slouching and looks lame. So it's just this one dude who's like, what's going on? And then they immediately take the wind out of that dude by having him talk to a fucking water cooler. (laughs) (laughs) These guys are great. I love them. (laughs) Yeah. So, um... Subaki shouts over to Hokuto, the older twin with the glasses. Hey, you pathetic potato head, which seems weirdly mean and inaccurate. (laughs) I see you still got those hilarious glasses. All the better to witness my dazzling defense. So despite the fact that he has these nerdy glasses, clearly Subaki is the nerdiest of all of them. Mm-hmm. But he makes a good play at, at shortstop uh, and is then immediately like, did you see me? Did you see how good I am at playing shortstop? 
But uh, Hokuto just kind of says, Tsubaki, you haven't changed a bit. You're no shortstop. So it's an interestingly specific comment to make about this. And I wonder if it's an indication that maybe Tsubaki is not actually personality-wise suited to play at shortstop, but rather a different position. And maybe that was actually the source of the trouble he had with his team. Maybe he didn't, they didn't want to demote him. Maybe they wanted to move him somewhere else. And his ego couldn't take it. So. Possibly. I wonder if it's just that he has maybe a flashy way of playing and that's not actually like when you get down to the specifics, the short shot shouldn't be flashy. They should be more disciplined. I don't know. Something like that, I feel like, might be I don't a thing. know enough about baseball. But maybe so. some, P- J- Jackie K is saying uh, one team did want to move him, so you, you might be right on that. So That would be an interesting fall to put into this because it's felt like a much more straightforward series of events than the, what they had to do in order to get Surugi on their team. I, I, I definitely got the impression early on when Tsubaki was just like, yeah, I'll join your team. And they were like, yay. It was like, I don't know. Something's going to come up. That's going to complicate this somehow. And it seemed like it was just going to be like, well, they have to play a game with him, but maybe through playing this game, there'll be a twist on what they thought they were penning in. You should be a wide receiver. Like, that's not even the same sport. <laughs> like, <You're yeah>. <laughs> you should be a professional dominoes player. They're like, I, but that's <laughs> how, how has any of my skill set shown that to be the case? <laughs> Have you ever tried League of Legends? <laughs> I think you'd made a great jungle. All right. So that was a that was a, that was a, a fun little chapter of uh, Nine Dragons Ball Parade. Let's yeah. move on to Doctor Stone, which has been very crazy the last couple of weeks. As oh yes, we're going to petrify the whole world again. That's our plan for saving everybody. Uh, and the petrification wave has already swept over everyone in America. It looks like, and it's on its way towards South America as we begin Z equals 192 until we meet again. There's a really cool bit of artwork of the uh, pulse of energy going off. I just really love the way it's done. It looks like it, it was like drawn the opposite way and then a negative filter was put over it. But like it actually worked. So um, Chrome is reacting to the insanity of this idea that they have. Uh, and. Gen says, how long do we have until the Petrobean gets here? Like, I mean, what if if that is assuming that the team succeeds? And Sega says, well, don't doubt them. They're going to pull it off. We got to have faith because that's the only way we have of, of actually having a chance here. Um, but Kaseki brings up the point of, well, are we going to do the countdown like we did on Treasure Island? And, you know, toss it up at the exact right time. But Senku says, well, with the bigger blast radius, though, the wave's going to be faster and the timing's going to be basically down to luck. So let's that's that kind of complicates things. So Chrome says, well, what if we rig up a big scientific mechanism and that way it would splash some revival fluid on and then Senku gets shot. (laughs) Uh, A bullet breaks open the, the canister of revival fluid he's got and hits him in the shoulder and he falls to the ground. Uh, and Stanley has realized what is going on at this moment, that the wave is coming and it is sweeping over the planet. 
And Zeno also realizes that the petrification wave is coming. There's another big image, just a big two-page spread of basically the dawn coming because the petrification beam is sweeping over the horizon. Uh, the group that has been captured by Stanley's forces also sees the wave coming. They're under guard, but the guard is very distracted by what's going on. So Ukyo, on this, uh, who is observing them, is able to fire an arrow which cuts Francois out of their bonds. And Francois reacts immediately, cuts loose Ginro and Matsukaze, uh, who beat up the guard. And uh, then Francois says, hey, my, my satchel, the, the revival fluid is inside there. Uh so we need this. We, we've got to get some of them to them because Senku's group lost their revival fluid. So in order for us to have any plan, we got to get some to them. And Zeno's there. Because. Because. He, he says, the revival fluid, your proverbial Noah's Ark, could only have been here. And he gestures with his big copper claw things and a, a couple of other guys seemingly gun everybody down uh and they for a moment suggest that suika's been shot like very very heavily suggest that this child has been gunned down in cold blood which would have been horribly dark if it were actually the case and is already pretty dark with the visualization of the implication implication of it because her melon mask falls on the ground and it's covered in blood so, yay! <laughs> yeah, for a moment you're like, yeah, you better fucking have not have. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Stanley and Zeno look at each other, and they're just friends. Uh, but uh, then uh, the loser woman who, <laughs> who got beaten <laughs> in one punch. <laughs> Mick also there. Yeah. She looks in the satchel and is like, I don't see any bottles. They're gone. And uh, then they look over at the melon mask and are like, wait, there's nobody in this melon mask. And Suika, without her mask, has managed to grab the, the canisters of revival food and is dashing back to Senku and the others. And she manages to leap over the barricades. She's tr stumbling over them. She falls and drops a bunch of them. But one of the bottles lands in Chrome's hand. Uh, by the way, a little detail to keep in mind during all this is Suika is nearly blind without the mask on. So yeah. this is extra desperate and awesome of her. So the cancer gets passed again and who puts it in the tower, the tower that was supposed to set off the petrification beam during the fight with Stanley's forces that they didn't have time to get ready. And Zeno realizes as he, as he witnesses this that the shot cannon is hooked up to go off directly over where the canister is. And Senku says, while bleeding and coughing up blood, seemingly, have you caught on yet? After humanity's petrified again. It could be days, months even. Might be a wild animal's cry or lightning. Some natural sound is bound to make our scientific revival fluid rain down on us. Uh, but Senku can't move. Uh, so he, because he's just on the ground and stuck. 
Zeno and Stanley try to get to the revival fluid so that they can stop this from going on. Because, of course, if it does, then they're not going to be able to have the advantage anymore. Uh, While they're struggling against Kaseki and Gen and and Chrome, who are trying to protect the bottle of revival fluid, Seku calls over to Suika and he says, you're the only one who can get to the base of the tower. You want to be helpful, right? And Suika is squinting her eyes. She can barely see, but she gets a determined look on her face and she somersaults up to the base of the tower and she reaches out towards the, 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 uh, towards the revival fluid as the wave washes over everyone. And as it does, uh, Zeno is staring up at the tower and Senku says, bye for now. It could be days. It could be years until humanity's revived again, but we'll meet again. So until that day, see ya. And as he says this, he is being covered in stone. Well, that was something, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a pretty, I mean, I, su- I suppose it's not surprising since last week kind of set up that this is what's uh, what's going to be what happens. Uh, everyone's getting frozen. And then I guess the way the, the revival fluid will go out is only going to really affect Senku's people. So they'll be able to kind of react first, I guess, is sort of the idea. Um, or maybe not. I don't fully understand everything that's currently happening right now a little bit unclear right at the end yes uh but everybody's getting petrified presumably even chelsea and uh luna and the the fighter trio now whether or not everyone who's been shot will survive i mean that i guess is still in the air that's the thing to discover but um, the answer is yes (laughs) well maybe uh, so yeah, it, it looks like it's not running out of batteries or anything like that. So, but who knows? It's, it looks like we might also get uh, a time skip. Only Suika will be arrived because she's under the bottle. That seems to be the implication, but it's not exactly clear because when the wave finally hits, you only really see where Zeno is. That's the only one that, I mean, we see Suika has arrived in the center of the tower and she seems to be reaching out for it from below, but she is actually beneath it uh, when the wave hits. But the others, we just kind of see like either lying around bleeding or struggling against each other. So that seems to be the implication, but it's not a billion percent clear. Now, how does this thing work? Is it just drop revival fluid down, or I thought it was like a like a like a sprinkler system and it sprays it out or something like that? So originally it was designed so that anyone from anywhere around the island will be able to go to speak into it and say, you know, one thousand meters or whatever one second and set it off right away. Uh, so, but instead they're saying the shock cannon will amplify sound and shatter the bottle, and so the bottle shattering will drop okay. down revival fluid on whoever is underneath it. Uh, and then it's just going to be up to Suika to figure out how to do everything from there. Yeah. Um, this seems to be their only bottle from it is. what every, happened. Every, everything one. else broke. So I don't know exactly how they're going to get around that. Uh, also, 
I have to wonder what the fuck Luna and Chelsea being sent off before amounted to uh, if it's not going to play into the next chapter or two. So I feel like uh, we'll find out. But this was very exciting, and I do love the way that, you know, the last couple of chapters kind of tied a lot of things over this build together in a very satisfying way. So uh, I guess we'll see what the hell happens and how much time actually passes before someone is revived, uh, because they do seem to be heavily suggesting like, yeah, we're not just going to wake up tomorrow. So people are saying Luna and Chelsea had bottles with them. So maybe that's what they're there for. Because it wouldn't make sense. I don't know if Suika is smart enough to be able to figure out where she would have to get the ingredients to remake the revival fluid. I don't believe she knows exactly how to do all the processes involved, yeah. even if she helped out at certain points of it. So, so I guess that's that's the thing is she'll have to find them. But she is blind still. She yeah. won't have her, her goggles. Um, all right. Let's move on. To the best chapter of the week, and I will have nobody hearing say different. Mashal, Magic and Muscles, Chapter 58, Mash Burned It, and the Final Exam. So the long-awaited match between uh Margaret and Mash is about to begin. And Mash is uh, oh wait, hold on a second. I need some calories before a workout. He grabs one of those cream puffs, and Margaret's like, Oh, then might I snack as well? And he has uh like a, a fried shrimp on a stick. And he just starts dipping it in tartar sauce. And he just keeps doing it. And he just keeps dipping it. Mash is like, Can well, you? and he also says each time he does it, dip, 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 dip. <laughs> and Mash is like, can you even taste the shrimp with that much tartar sauce on it? And Margaret gives the best response ever. What a silly question. I'm putting shrimp on my tartar sauce. Tartar sauce is only good because the shrimp exists to make it so. And Mash says that's. That makes him have the eyes of a madman. But I was like, I have never related harder to Margaret in my life. There are absolutely times I've gone to Burger King and I'm like, I don't want fries, but I want their buffalo sauce. So you I'm gonna get sauce. it's gotta go on something. So uh, <laughs> I love Dot's follow up to this conversation. Though. Yeah, Dot's like, but no, based on my completely biased reasoning, the crazier someone is, the more powerful they are. <laughs> <laughs> and he's not wrong. Uh, we get Gehenna basically amplifying the statement of like Margaret is a very powerful character. This is someone directly on that that tier. Uh, Order only put one person on the case to like kill Mash in this tournament because that's how much confidence he has in Macaron skills. So he's going to be the one to do it if anyone can. So they they start their fight. They have their you know, Macaron has this big energy field kind of go off. Everyone's just like, oh man, that much magical energy. It's no surprise. You know, you can feel it. And they're like, yeah, that's that's the power required to become a divine visionary. So Mash runs at him, and you know, uh, Ma- Margaret just fires like a little energy ball. And Bash basically has to receive it like he's receiving, like he's digging a volleyball. And which I believe we've seen him do before. Yes. Is the idea, so. But it's as heavy as a bowling ball, and it keeps pushing it back, and he's basically just going to be sent straight into the wall. Uh, but boom, even though there's the big crater, everyone's like, where'd he go? And he gets right behind fucking Margaret, and he does, like, the fucking Charizard seismic uh, toss move from the Pokemon anime, where he, like, jumps into the air and then comes straight down, and everyone's like, holy shit, he did it already. But they're like, 
wait, how did Mash even get out of there? Like that original attack. And I'm like, oh, he just ran faster than the wall backwards and the wall was burned and he was being pushed. And then there's just a moment of like Dot being like, wait a minute. It's strange how we're talking about bowling balls and returning serves and a bunch of other non-magical stuff, right? Those terms don't exactly scream magical school. Oh, well, I'm sure it's no big deal. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> but Margaret is fine. Everyone's like, how the shit did he do that? And uh, Gehenna just basically is like, he used sound to cushion his fall. Which... Well, he used uh, the sand canister to cushion it after Rock Lee uh, tombstoned mm-hmm. him in the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. And a bunch of people were like, wow, I've never heard of spine magic before. I thought he couldn't use magic. And I like Gehenna's is like, wait, no one's going to call out the fact that he's clearly just naming regular ass moves like he's doing a spell. Uh, we see a bunch more attacks. He Mash- also makes a great face while he's thinking this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> a bunch of attacks. Mash gets into a blind spot and goes for an attack, but Margaret turns and it's point blank going to attack, and then he stops. He's like, why Why did you stop? He's like, you're attempting to guard something, Mash. And Mash reaches into his robe and pulls out a cream puff, and Ma- Margaret says, we cannot fight our utmost with something so precious to you on the line. Set it aside. <laughs> And mash, and mash basically the amount of respect <laughs> reserved for a snack. Food. Nick, you want to know what my my biggest wrestling hot take is? What? I always hate the spot that happens. Usually, it's when two kind of like ath- like very athletic guys do like hold reverse hold reverse pin attempt pin attempt reversal reversal and then they both like stand up like a little bit away from each other and they stop and they stare at each other and everyone's applause i was like that's bullshit i hate it every time i see it they need to replace that spot with them doing that but then it ends because one guy's like wait a minute <laughs> you have a snack in your pocket protect it we may pause here for this this is the alternate way of doing things I guess you could do that with Big E. You know, just like reach into the jocks. Oh, my pancakes. <laughs> you are going to kick my pancakes. <laughs> uh, everyone's like, holy shit, this is crazy. But, you know, like the smart people in the crowd are like, ah, oh, no, they're still testing each other. Either one of them could finish that in an instant if they wanted to. But they're they're waiting for this. They're going to enjoy themselves. So it looks like we're about to get a cool fight. But, Nick, this is a tournament shonen arc, so we do have to be introduced to the people who are going to interrupt it. It's Cell War who's on the way, saying, my dear Mashburn dead. And then uh, another person who's with them riding on a dragon says, how splendid. It's like we're going on a trip. Uh, and I can only hope that character's name is is equally ridiculous as Cell War. So, like, uh, Banana Rocket or something like that. <laughs> well, uh, if uh, there's anything I've learned from Shonen over the past ten years, it's that when three guys show up in a completely unexpected way riding <laughs> dragons, they actually are not real characters. They are representations of the protagonist's id, ego, and superego. So I think you'll find that when the next chapter comes around, no, 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 they won't be showing up to fight MASH. It will instead be about the spiritual journey. Because... <laughs> a little bit of a callback yeah. for long-time listeners. <laughs> everyone, everyone remembers it. Uh, I just think it was a very funny chapter and a really cool way of showing off uh, Margaret. Like, I'm... I'm, I'm so, like, Mash kind of has the thing where, like, most everyone he beats kind of gets redeemed a little bit at the end. But I'm actually kind of excited at the idea of Margaret becoming, like, kind of an anti-hero, like, ally at the end of this. Because they've shown themselves at this point to be, like, just so admirable and kind of funny. I don't know why the Tartar Sauce gag fucking really made me laugh when I read it. Um, 
Yeah. It's nice to know that there's someone out there as weird as MASH, isn't it? Mm-hmm. All right. Let's move on to the chapter that apparently our community fucking hated. Um, me, I think it's not worth hating. It was just kind of dumb. Ayakashi Triangle, Chapter 40, Shirogane Catches a Cold. In this chapter, Shirogane catches a cold because they were having the fight in the cold with Roshka, of course. Roshka, who has who has assumed a much more normal preteen form, which, with just no preamble, she just shows up, like, wearing more everyday clothes, uh, just because. It's like, all right. She is staying with Garaku, who basically is covering for them by saying that she is his niece, who is, you know, visiting from afar. Uh, and uh, Shirogane, however, is sick because when he did the whole thing, like, behold, my winter fur mode, I did nothing to protect him from the cold. So, yeah. All right. Um Roshka is looking after Shiragane uh, and has the impression that because uh, Shiragane has a fever, uh, she needed to uh, lower the room temperature to negative five degrees Celsius. Okay, so that didn't work. Uh, Matsuri and Suzu have shown up to see Shiragane and all that stuff. Uh, Matsuri tells uh, uh, Roshka to not be so careless with her abilities, but Roshka says... Well, how dare you? And let's get this straight, Kazumaki. I have no intention of becoming your friend. That sounds like something that someone who's going to be your friend is going to say. I know manga. So. Uh, and she continues to bring up the fact that Matsuri, quote-unquote, tried to kill her in the bathtub. Melt her, sorry, in the bathtub. Uh, at that moment, Matsuri's stomach starts pulsing with heat because uh, he is in connected to Shiragane somehow. So Shiragane getting sick is causing the Ayakashi energy to become unstable. Uh, and uh, I do like how Ungai starts to say, like, did Shiragane, like, cast a jutsu on Kazumaki? And, Su- and Suzu's just like, it's kind of complicated. <laughs> Look, we're not going to go over all that right now. Um, Matsuri is in pain. It's time to show uh, his crotch because it's always a good time for that in uh, Ayakashi world. Uh, Roshka offers to freeze Matsuri's intestines to make him feel better. She's got one solution to the problem. She's got ice powers, but she's going to try and use them in helpful ways. She'll figure it out eventually. Um, Matsuri is a very nice person, which makes Roshka go, huh, okay. Uh, and he, she specifically refers to Matsuri as a kind lady because she doesn't know the situation uh, regarding Matsuri's gender swapping and stuff like that. Suzu uh, leaves the r- room. Uh, rather, uh, Roshka goes to talk with Ungai in, in private and is like, the only thing I can do to help is freeze things. I'm worthless. Uh, but Suzu also shows up and uh, she says, hey, don't worry about this. I know Matsuri's sweating a lot. But, you know, here, you can help out this way. Soak this cloth in water and wipe down Matsuri's body with it. And it's like, Suzu, why would you go to someone else and say, wipe down Matsuri's body? 
this doesn't seem in character for you. You would be like, whatever you do, if there is a situation in which Matsuri's body needs to be wiped down, don't do it yourself. Come and get me. Anyway, so she does this, and Roshka is excited about the idea that she can be helpful. Um, and uh, meanwhile, the gender swap jutsu is uh, reacting to Shiragani's uh, behavior. You know where this is going. Matsuri is half undressed. Somehow his fundoshi falls down. And then at that moment, Roshka comes in and trips and falls. And honestly, the one thing in this entire chapter that did get, get a little bit of a chuckle out of me is the exact visual of she sees Matsuri's newly formed penis, which is, Meanwhile in the Arctic Ocean, a whale surfaced. Anyway, back to the action. So... Uh, she sees his penis and, uh, then offers to freeze it off because she has ice powers and that's her only solution to things. Then the gender swap jutsu goes back to normal. And so the humpback whale goes back down, uh, and, um, Shirogane is good. The medicine worked and, uh, Roshka is um, left to contemplate the fact that she just saw a guy's junk. And that's the end of the chapter. Like I said, it is a dumb chapter. Yes. It's a, a very dumb chapter. I hated it. I kind of made me want to stop reading this series. It's uh, very dumb. Well, it also is using a joke that I think is really, really gross and awful. Like, I understand it probably wasn't the attention of Yabuki but it seems like a joke at the expense of intersex people or trans people. It's not entirely clear. Like uh, Matsuri says at that point that he thinks he has both. And the joke is that it was a horrifying thing to see because Roshka was very surprised by it. Uh, I don't think that's the intention. You could also just read it that she was very innocent seeing a penis or whatever, but it's still one of those things that creates the idea of like, Oh, someone, not having the genitals I expect them to based off the way they're presented, gross, scary, and that's fucking shitty and garbage. So, This is the kind of thing that I was worried this entire series was going to be like when we first, you know, got introduced to this series, and I had that big long rant about the outdated, uh, you know, gender swap conventions and stuff that were on display in it. And, uh... I mean, like, yeah, if this had been something that had been happening, you know, like five, ten chapters into the series, I never would have said, like, hey, maybe we can try giving that another shot because it was. Yeah, it's very dumb. And yes, like you say, insensitive, not necessarily by, you know, intention, but can very, very easily be read a certain way. Um, but also. Oh, no, she saw his penis which only appeared just so that like, you know, she could react this way. And also there's not even a joke about, Oh, there, Oh no, there is a joke where Suzu at the end is like, I wish I had seen that penis instead of her, which seems like the only reason you would ever do this. Honestly, is because dude is to go over like, yeah, Suzu wants that dick. So. All right. Black Clover page 289 freezing sun. This'll be quick. So Asta <laughs> cut the one devil straight in half, and the other devil's like, 
Oh no, you're dead. I'm gonna fuse together. So now, this devil has the powers of ice and fire. It's terrifying. No one... Hold on. Are you saying that these devils can now do two different types of magic? At the same time, yes. (gasps) But that's... Nick, that's to highlight how inhuman they are. Because no human (laughs) could ever use two magics at the same time. It's just going to happen. Anyway, Asta dodges a bunch of attacks, so the devil creates, like, a giant fireball, evil energy ball thing. And it's like, all right, well, I'm just going to blow up everybody. Like, even if you'll survive, then everyone else will die. So, goodbye. And is going to throw it, and it's basically just going to destroy what seemingly seems like the entire spade kingdom. Uh, Asta takes out his first sword, and he says, all you did was get bigger. I got bigger, too. And he grows his first sword to gigantic size to the point where it overshadows the kingdom a little bit. And he's preparing to swing it like a big baseball bat to knock away the energy ball. And we get a single panel that shows Magna and Zora are in the kingdom. Yes, they are there. We're here. Uh, I guess this is the remind us they are a thing. And the chapter ends with Asta knocking it away like a baseball. Clunk. Yeah, this was a very quick chapter to go through because it's a very quick action sequence. It's also, that said, it's also shorter than usual as well. Yes. That said, it's the best chapter of Black Clover in like two months since we got into this fight to begin with. Uh, because I much prefer Asta gets a huge power up and is thus able to just make a giant sword to he has stupid armor and fights the exact same way he's been fighting the entire time. I like so hooray. So I liked it. It's also a callback to when Asta, I believe originally didn't he like, wasn't the first time he really showed this ability was to knock back like one of Magda's fireballs or something like that. I can't remember. I I feel like I thought that like in my mind, I was like, yeah, that was like the first thing he's doing it again, but on a much bigger scale. And then I'm like, that's probably why we get the little scene of magma in the shadows or whatever because otherwise who would give it like why have them be the ones to comment on this when they're basically being reintroduced like a year and a half into this fucking arc when they're not actually doing anything so yeah uh it seemed like kind of a cool thing there in that way um you know Yes. I don't know what so, else to say. He knocks the big thing away. Asta, Asta uses his ability to stop all magic in the series in some fashion to stop a magic attack from working. It's cool. I like the callback. I hope Tabata is healthy and can take breaks when he needs to. It's an incredibly short chapter. It is, yes, a little bit shorter than usual, but also there are a lot of two-page spreads in it. So... One Piece, chapter 1010, Color of the Supreme King. Last time, uh, all the smart people on Luffy signed the fight, which means not him. Uh, Well, arguably not Zoro, but Zoro was involved. So Uh, They worked together to take away uh, Big Mom's uh, most powerful weapons and then knock her off of the floating island. Zoro continues to cut up Prometheus, and Zeus is still trapped inside a box, uh, and Kaido is doing nothing to help out Big Mom because he's an asshole like that. Um, 
But uh, he does charge over towards Zoro and demands that he release Prometheus. Uh, fortunately, before Kaido can fall upon him, Law teleports uh, Zoro away to safety and then uses some sort of ability with his powers to shoot Kaido somehow. Uh, he No, no, he stabs him. I don't know. He calls it an injection shot after a freaking, you know, cursor appears. I guess he's just directly striking a certain part of Kaido's anatomy, but I have no idea what that is because they don't say so. Uh, Kaido responds by just bashing him with his club while uh, Law shields himself. This allows Prometheus and the sword to jump over the edge of the island and rush towards Big Mom. Uh, Zoro uh, says, hey, that flame's going to go save Big Mom, but Law says, well... It doesn't matter. The plan will be a failure if he if anyone dies anyway. But Kid says, well, the point was to separate the two of them. You no need to take it too far. And he and Killer rush off to chase after Big Mom. They are we are splitting the fight into two fights. It seems Prometheus was able to catch up to Big Mom before she fell all the way into the ocean, which would have been very bad for her. Uh-huh. Uh. Big Mom is upset that Zeus is so useless. Once again, she's been separated from Zeus. It seems like this is this whole thing with Mom and Zeus is not going to last, it seems like. Uh, especially because Prometheus immediately starts sassing Zeus while he's not there to stand up for himself. And then he says, Mama, can I ask you for something? And we cut away from there. So, bit of an odd little thing. What the fuck could a fire a fire be asking for. Well, we immediately see clouds are starting to change. There's a possibility that Big Mom might be turning something else into another homie or something like that. Mm. Uh, Kaido is looking down at Luffy, uh, who is not doing so well. He was being, being knocked around quite a bit before this plan went down. And he's on the ground on his back and he says, look at Straw Hat's face. He did that before, too. Even while unconscious, he still stares me down. What should I crush first? Those eyes or his brain? Maybe his heart? It's cool stuff. He just keeps going. His pinky. His amplagata. His hair. (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll step on his pinky toe and it'll really hurt. His eyelashes. He's just like slamming a club into them. (laughs) You fool. Individual eyelashes. (laughs) Zoro says to Law, what I'm about to do is the limit of my ability. If the fight drags on, we're only wearing ourselves down. If we can't break through, we die. After this... It's all you. And he gets super serious because he's got the headband on and he takes all of his swords out and he puts one in his mouth. And he says, hey, Kaido, that's my captain. And he's projecting hockey into his blades. If you want to crush anyone's skull, you'll have to start with mine. And he unleashes Demon Aura, nine sword style, Asura, blades drawn, dead man's game, and he rushes straight into Kaido and appears on the other side of his body in a really rapid slashing uh, after uh, math thing. And he has cut 
Kaido. He's given him a fresh scar that crosses over the old one. And immediately Kaido reacts to this and says, boy, don't tell me you can use the color of the Supreme King too. And Zoro says, I have no idea what you mean. (laughs) What are you talking about? He just says, that was the best attack I could do. I was hoping to at least knock you off your feet as he collapses. He was already, of course, not doing very hot after deflecting the attack last time. So he seems to have completely reached the limits of his stamina after that attack, after pushing himself that far. But uh, Kaido indicates that the wound is going to stay on his body. So he has a fresh scar now. Uh, Law tries to do something and Kaido's like, no, Thunder Bagua's him and knocks him away. That seems to have taken Law out of the fight. So it's just Luffy now who is unconscious, but not anymore. Uh, Kaido says aloud... If you'd come with me, we could have conquered the world. But Luffy says, we'd never go with you, idiot. We love the samurai. Mark my words, you're going down. And he thinks about what uh, Hyogoro had taught him about this hockey, this form of it that he had been teaching him. Uh, You know, not to stress, to allow the hockey to flow into your fist And in the midst of danger, the power truly blossoms. And Luffy knows that when he struck Kaido with this ability last time, it was too shallow. But after taking that hit from your club, I figured it out. You can infuse things with Supreme King Hockey, can't you? And Kaido laughs uh, when Luffy says this because he's right. And he says, only a handful of the very strongest can. Not a dead man walking. And he does the and he goes to strike Luffy from behind, but Luffy spins around and kicks the club to block it. And he doesn't even directly kick the club. He kicks towards the club and hockey comes out of his foot and knocks it away. And then he steps off the club from there, steps off of a rock and punches not Kaido's belly but the space in front of Kaido's belly, which launches a wave of impact into him. And he does this again in a haymaker to the chin. And Law, who is, I guess, conscious, but is being a worthless shit, says, he's not even touching him. <laughs> Luffy thanks Zoro, Zoro and Law for protecting him thus far, but he says, you can go down now. I'm going to beat him, no matter what it takes. Go ahead and let everyone know. And he looks very confident in himself as he says this. That's the chapter. We get, uh, we're going to be on break next week with One Piece. So. Yeah, well, I mean, come on. <laughs> we know a, that's coming. Yeah. Uh, it's a pretty cool chapter. We finally get a bit more context to some stuff we've seen previously. If I recall, when Whitebeard and Gold Rogers, like, struck weapons theirs didn't theirs also didn't touch at that time i just assumed it was like oh that's how strong they are the force of their blows doesn't even need to get but i guess that was a foreshadow that like that's how 
infusing your thing with supreme hockey works i think it's actually a pretty cool visual it allows like a lot of extra space to be used at attacks so like the first couple times like oh, okay but the shot with luffy punching from below and kaido's face going up for some reason that really really worked to sell yeah. this whole ability that there's um, like several feet between the fist and the chin yeah uh, Zoro got to look very cool using the uh, Ajura technique that he hasn't used in a very, very long time. I don't think it's ever been seen post time skip. Um, and the implication being he also probably has Supreme King Hockey, which I I know that the argument was kind of always settled, but pretty firmly settles. Like, yeah, Zoro is way stronger than Sanji. <laughs> that really closes the book on whole, that whole thing. Uh, but I guess also explains what the fuck azura style was like for the longest time i was like i don't know i think he just moves fast enough that you think there are three of him but i guess that's actually just supreme king hockey manifesting it's not entirely clear at this point but it looks cool so there's that um and i just like that we're kind of separating into like smaller things like luffy being like okay no it is gonna be me versus kaido but we're also going to presumably get king or killer and kid against big mom and maybe Zoro goes downstairs and helps in a fight like maybe he has to take on king or something like that or you know it would make sense Zoro against king and sanji against queen they're both pretty fucked up so yeah there's some cool stuff there uh, i don't know what law's going to do law feels like very much the character who needs to be on the sidelines of the sports manga to be like i yeah. played these guys previously so i could give you the analysis of what's happening I played for the deer and was supposedly a really good lineman, but uh, I got my ass kicked. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's a cool chapter. Not quite to the level of a, of a lot of the fight uh, chapters we've seen focusing on this fight, but it's more laying the grounds for okay, this is the next phase of this battle with Kaida that we're going to see. We've gotten. We've gotten the stuff where he fought the Akazayas out of the way. We've gotten the stuff where it was a group fight done, which was really cool uh, and leaves a lot for just the pure Luffy on Kaido fight to live up to. But uh, now that we've seen that Luffy seemingly has figured out how to unlock this new power, we're really looking forward to seeing what's going to be done with it. So, yeah. And that is it for this week of Weekly Manga Recap, y'all. So let's go over what our favorites were this week. Favorite chapter and MVP. Um, hmm. Favorite chapter is hard for me. I thought you said it was going to be Mashal. I mean, Mashal is very good. I say a lot of things about Mashal. It's not always true. Remember, I said it was going to be my favorite series of the year. And although it did turn out to be because I forgot when it came out, I was going to give it to We Never Learned prior to that. So sometimes, sometimes I play mind games just to trick people up. Like, I might say anything. Even on yourself, yes. Yeah, but. I might say something like, Suiku is my MVP, and then I'll wait for uh, Ninja to type it in, and then I'm going to be like, no, stupid, <laughs> obviously it's not. It's going to be someone else. Oh, yeah, there's a there's a couple of tough choices. So, I mean, a lot of times when we have this difficulty, it's because there's so many good chapters. Not really the case this time. It felt like there was not a lot that really, really stood out positively. Um... I'll say this. I think in terms of the chapter, I enjoyed the most. Yeah, I'll give it to One Piece. I, I, I'll give it to One Piece because I'm I, Margaret is hands down my MVP. Um, but I think I'll give it to One Piece just because I want to give a little bit of credit. I probably enjoyed the Mashal chapter more, but I'll give credit to One Piece that it, it was a very cool chapter this week. 
Ooh. Oh, this is tough. I ju- and you know you're going to be judged for your decision. Like the people I, in the chat are already talking about. It. Like he doesn't well, pick something. I stupid. will. I will feel like I, so. I'll I'll explain before I say what it actually is, which is that if I were to read any of these chapters completely independent of the context of the week and then were to learn that I named it the chapter of the week, I would be like, really? It didn't seem that good. Um, so that's kind of the thing is it didn't feel like there was any single chapter this week that was really, 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 really good. It was just, there was one that was better than the others. Um, and I am going to give mine to I till C, uh, uh, I'm going to give it to Mashal, you know, honestly, it was really weird because before we were going over it, I was thinking, cause you said like, Oh, this is the best chapter. Of the I'm like, really? Was it? But then like when we hit upon each point that was really good, I was like, yeah, that was a really good bit. And that was a really good joke. And there were quite a few of them. So I'm going to get into going with that one, but I'm not incredibly like, Oh, this was so good about it. It was just, it, it was a good chapter. So, uh, MVP. So who, who's the MVP? Did you name Did, yours? Yeah, uh, Macaron, uh, Margaret Macaron. Oh, okay. So for some similar reasoning, I need to do that too, uh, Ms. Howie. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the uh, uh, can I name a, a joke as my character of the week? Because uh, it's going to be that penis joke from <laughs> Ayakashi Triangle. Really funny <laughs> all the way through. Oh boy, and faces landing in skirts. It's yep. always funny. It, it's been funny for. You know what? Actually, scratch that. It's the tall mohawk joke in uh, I I just every time I, I can't stop thinking about it. His ha- his hair's so tall. How would it fit in the ski mask, Nick? I hated that joke so much. <laughs> it doesn't help that I feel like that joke has been done in a lot of series. I mean, I know there's a character in One Piece who we don't see the top of his head either, but like I feel like it's there's another series that does it too. You know what? I am actually going to give my MVP this week to Taiki from Blue Box. Okay. Because I thought that his sincerity was very, very sweet. Uh, And I liked the way that he made a difference in someone's life, not by trying to be important to them, but by just showing why they were important to him. It was nice. So. There you go. And the audience pick for chapter of the week was One Piece, and the character of the week for the audience was Miss Aoi from Itel C. And I said it out loud. You can't change it, no matter what the votes say. It was actually sweet, good Doctor Stone. But again, I want to. I want to feel like I could, like I'm a puppet master. I could change anything when I want. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like boom. Now I want my chapter of the week to be Doctor Stone. Change it. <laughs> Put it in there now. <laughs> it's, it's, it's One Piece. It's, he's keeping it as Oh. <laughs> it's just your power it's just, it's, it's just... <laughs> to be rude <laughs> to be an asshole yeah that's my only power my right. it, like if you ever go to our discord my icon in there is just a picture of a dancing cat and i i love it because it's from i don't i forget what the thing is like wiki disney or whatever it says places that draw pictures on wikis of like weird it'll be like uh wiki how how to drink water and it'll always be these images that like are really like 
flaccid and weird and i don't know where it is there's one in the style of like three women on the couch and they all have like their head in their hands and then there's just a cat with a party hat and it's on two legs and it's dancing and i was like i don't know what this is from but i'm that cat i am the cat dancing to nobody's enjoyment everyone is so exhausted of this thing and i was like i want that energy all the time <laughs> you can't really like you can't even really call that a troll because you're <laughs> no. just like, I'm just dancing. Just... <laughs> the cat's having a time of its life. It's on them for not enjoying it. Okay, so thank you everyone for joining us for Weekly Manga Recap, where I host this podcast with my friend, a cat who dances for nobody's enjoyment. <laughs> we record the show Wednesdays on twitch.tv slash uh Normally starting sometime around 7.30 Eastern time in the evening. You can also check out all the previous recordings of the, sh- of the show on our YouTube channel, on iTunes, on Spotify, and on weeklymongerecap.podbean.com. We would like to uh, extend our thanks to everyone in the Weekly Manga Recap Discord community. Wonderful conversations take place on there, and they have wrong opinions about the chapters we read. The two of us have the only right ones. Yeah. It's a fact. <laughs> Uh, but we've never been wrong, even though we've referenced several times we were wrong this past week. Uh, and uh, you can also, if you want to uh, join in on there, you, through that, you can find the Google Doc, on uh, which is maintained by Ninja X3i, where we keep track of all of the recommendations that we are taking and the one that we're currently taking, which is Dear Sachan, which I have not read because I have been busy. Uh, and uh, you can also use that to find out what the MVP voting was and all that stuff. Audience votes go on there as well. Lots and lots of statistics associated with it. Uh, we would also like to extend special thanks to the, all the people who create, uh, make the show what it is. Our supporters on Patreon who allow us to create bonus content for you guys to enjoy. Steve Mann, our talker artist, you can check out his artwork wherever boobs are allowed to be drawn on the internet. And Winston Del Cheddar and... Uh, Milo Jack Stillitz for creating the opening sequence of Weekly Manga Recap that you see on YouTube. And that is everything. Yep. Pretty sweet. All right. That's going to do it, guys. We're going to catch you next time on the podcast for Dear Sachan, I think, uh, which I'm going to I'm gonna put this in there right now. The chat described it to me as a trash fire. And I think I have uh, quite the different opinion. It is a dumpster fire. Yes, it's too. <laughs> not, not, it's a bigger receptacle. It needed more room for all the trash you have to punch into it. All right, goodbye, guys. Is, it, is that better or worse? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>